0: You're listening to the Sermon Audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.
1: Torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion. For many demons had entered him and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in, and in the country. Then people went out to, set, to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Jersees asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they, for they were all waiting for him. And those who came and, and there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling in, at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age. And she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to come to uh, enter with him except Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but just sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this recording of your miracles, the miracles of Christ through Dr. Luke, a physician himself. God, I just thank you that we have this recorded scripture that we can hear and read and believe. God, I pray that you will be with Jonathan today as he brings your word. Help us to be learners. Help us to go out of here responding. And Lord, as we have this day, I pray a special comfort on the Birch family as we celebrate Joni's home going. God, I also pray for those in this congregation who are suffering from cancer and chronic illnesses and challenges that are causing us difficulty here on earth. But God, help us to keep our eyes on you and an eternity in heaven. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
0: throughout his life and ministry, Jesus makes very clear that those who follow him will go through seasons of trials and tribulation. In other words, there would be difficulties if you follow him. Now, I'm sure you've heard that before, but if you haven't, I hate to be the one to break it to you. Jesus does not promise that the Christian life would be easy. Now, I'm sure you all all know that. Uh, I remember learning that as a a child, and um, I understood that, but I actually didn't understand it correctly. You see, for me, I I viewed trials and tribulations through the lens of all these missionary stories that I heard. You know, they go overseas, and they're uh, confronted by people who are trying to make them reject their faith, and I just thought that's how it went down. I assumed I would grow up and there'd be these Jesus-hating assassins coming tracking me down and telling me to renounce my faith. And I'd say, be gone with you in the name of Jesus, and they'd depart. Now, that's never happened to me before. I don't know about you, but that's not the sort of trials and tribulations that I've walked through. And I know that sort of persecution goes on all over the world. It is happening right now. But the sort of trials that I faced felt more ordinary. They just felt like everyday life. They just kind of felt like the things you go through. For example, when Dora and I first moved out to Kansas City, we were struggling. I mean, we were dead broke. We had spent everything we had to move up here and uh, trying to pay off school as we were uh, entering into school once again. And um, Man, I was just struggling to find a job. It took weeks and weeks and weeks of me searching, trying to find a position that I could work full-time while also being a full-time student. Now, while all this was going on, there were some other things, other struggles in my life. For the first time ever, I started struggling with anxiety. I'd be driving to the store or at work, and I'd just get hit with this sort of tension, I'd feel my, t- my chest start to tighten up, and all of a sudden I'd be struggling with fear and worry out of nowhere. Now, of course, I knew what anxiety was, but I had never experienced it before. Now, on top of that, even when I wasn't struggling with anxiety, I just felt numb all the time. I would uh, open up my Bible and, and try to read the text, and I'd try to pray at night, and I just felt like, man, God isn't listening. I felt in many ways like I was abandoned. I felt like the scriptures weren't for me, and even times I wondered if I was a Christian. I remember one day being at a marriage conference with Dora and sitting there listening to the pastor talk about depression, and all of a sudden it hit me. And I turned to Dora and I said, I think I'm depressed. And through all that, I just felt alone. I felt abandoned. And oftentimes, I even felt like God didn't exist. The point is that through all of this, there was no Jesus-hating thugs trying to get me to renounce the faith. It was my own heart. It was my own struggles. And they all felt very normal. Now, I don't know what you struggle with, and maybe you're struggling here today, but we have to understand. That these struggles, these ordinary struggles that we go through, this is what Jesus is talking about. Yes, he's talking about persecution and suffering, but he's also talking about the everyday average struggles of life. Fear, anxiety, depression, temptation, all the things that bear down on us trying to get us to deny Jesus Christ. And oftentimes it feels very normal. Well, I'm here to tell you today, I'm here to convince you that what you're struggling with, Jesus is the answer. What you are struggling with this morning, having the right understanding of who Christ is and who He came to be with you, is the answer to the struggle that you have this morning. As we enter into our text this morning, we will be looking at four ordinary life struggles. We will see people walking through the trials of life. And when they are confronted by Jesus, they will gain a greater understanding of his love and devotion to them. As we look at our text, we're going to be asking two questions. Number one, who is Jesus? And number two, knowing who Jesus is, how do we respond to tribulation? As we do so, we will be looking at these four ordinary events that will help us piece together who Jesus is. So with that in mind, please open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 56. And the first question we'll be diving into this morning is, who is Jesus? Now as we open up uh, in verses 22 to 25, we find our disciples going on a journey, a long journey that's going to cover a lot of countryside. And in, in this, Jesus will be taking them on a teaching lesson to help them understand who Jesus is. And on the first leg of this journey, we see the disciples and Jesus sailing ac- across the Lake of Gerasenes. Now, I don't know if you've been on the Lake of Gerasenes recently, but you should know that this is actually a very dangerous lake to navigate. You see, this lake was surrounded by mountains, and these mountains would often funnel in strong winds upon the lake, which would make freak storms come out out of nowhere, which is exactly what happens in our text. You see, the disciples are sailing across the lake. A storm pops up, and they begin tending to the boat, and and the boat begins filling with water. We should know this is a very dangerous situation. You see, not only do the freak storms come out of nowhere, also on this lake, waves come very close together. They'll pile on top of each other, which meant ships very easily turned over. But the most telling thing about the danger of this situation is the fact that Jesus' disciples are freaking out. They're panicking. Here they are in the middle of the ocean, and and they're afraid. And Normally, uh, if the storm comes up in the ocean, you should be afraid. But let's remember that several of these men are fishermen who made their living on this very lake. They knew what they were in store for. The point is that this is a tense situation. The boat is filling with water and the disciples are panicking. And where is Jesus? Well, asleep at the bottom of the boat, of course. While all this is going on, there is Jesus knocked out, maybe from a, a long day of healing ministry. Maybe he's just preparing for his next teaching circuit. But here the disciples assume that Jesus either doesn't know or doesn't care that they're struggling. Here in the text, they come and wake Jesus and they say, Master, Master, we're perishing. In other words, don't you know what's going on out here? And I don't know what they wanted Jesus to do. Maybe they wanted him to grab the ropes and tend the sails. Maybe they wanted him to pray to God and ask him to stop the wind and the rains. But that's not what Jesus did. When Jesus stepped out onto the deck, he himself looked up to the sky and he rebuked them. And immediately, there was calm. He then looked to his disciples and said, where is your faith? You see, what we have to understand is is going on here in the text is that the disciples just don't get it. You see, they've been walking with Jesus for some time now, but they're still viewing Jesus through a human mindset. You see, they understand Jesus to be a great prophet. They understand it stood him to uh, uh, command great miracles and have great authority. And they understood he was a man set from God. But in their mindset, they still viewed him as just a man. And here's the first confrontation where they ask this question, who then is this? Well, the first answer we see from the text, he is the one who commands the forces of nature. And what we need to understand here from the text is that Jesus has already done some great miracles, but nothing that couldn't have been done by any of the other prophets. Many men came before Jesus who could heal the sick, raise the dead, give the blind sight, but no one, no one, commands the wind and the waves except for Jesus. See, the disciples are beginning to understand the power of the man who was with them, and they need to know that he is more than a man. But there's still more to this teaching lesson. You see, as we come to the, the, the country of Gerasenes, the country directly east of Israel, we find that the lesson is going to continue. We learn that as immediately as they step off the boat, they are met with a man who is possessed by demons. Look with me at the text at verses 27 to 28. It says, For a long time this man had worn no clothes, and had lived not in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, we've seen Jesus interact with demons before. Uh, It's all throughout the Gospels. But there's some details here that are a little different than these other encounters. And number one, major difference, anytime a demon testified that Jesus was the son of the most high God, he always rebuked them and told them to be silent. But here he does no such thing. It, It seems that he wants his disciples to hear this testimony, that he is the son of the most high God. The second thing you'll notice is this this man is not possessed by a demon, but by demons. In in fact, this isn't just a a couple demons. We learn that this demon refers to himself as legion, which is a military term, which was a unit of troops over 5,000 in number. This man is possessed by an army, by all the powers of darkness. In other words, what we have in this situation is Jesus stepping out into enemy territory, a nation outside of the control of God's people, and he is standing before the armies of darkness. Now, one might assume that a prophet would cower or pray to God to beseech him to cast these demons out or run in terror, but once again, Jesus does none of the above. In fact, when Jesus steps before this man possessed by demons, it is they who cower before him. In fact, in verse 31, the demons actually beg Jesus not to send them to, into the abyss. The, uh, the abyss here in the text is a, a term for the deepest, darkest place of Sheol where the fallen angels were kept in chains. If you want to know more about that, you can see 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. In other words, this man who had been bound by chains his whole life and broken free, this man who had demonic strength, was afraid that Jesus would chain him. He knew the power that stood before him. He recognized the authority of the one who was standing in front of him. And in Jesus' mercy, he submitted to the, the, the demon's request and allowed him to be cast in a a group of nearby pigs. So we have to ask again, who is this Jesus? Who is the one who is able to make demonic armies cower? Well, he is the one who commands the supernatural world. You see, not only does Jesus command the forces of nature, not only does he command this physical world, He also commands the spiritual world. You see, Jesus is Lord over all of creation, both the seen and the unseen, both the physical and the spiritual. All things and all creation submit to His authority. That is who Jesus is. That is the one that the disciples are walking with, not just a man, but a man with ultimate authority. And you may think that that is quite an extreme of power, but there's still more lessons for these people to learn. But before we take that sidestep, we need to answer a important question. I'm sure many of you are wondering, how is a a man possessed by an army of demons in ordinary trial? I don't know about you, but I've never been to a tomb and saw a naked man running around possessed by demons. It's not everyday life. But you have to recognize here in the text how ordinary this seemed to the people involved. In fact, there's a man tending his pigs just a few feet away as this is all going down. It was normal. You see, back in those days, they recognized that the spiritual world was all around us. They realized that demonic powers were influencing this world that we're in. They understood that we were in a battleground. And we, too, have to recognize that powers are in play in this world that want to destroy you. There are forces in this world that want to corrupt you and tempt you and make you deny the power of God. But the good news is, Jesus is in control of the spiritual forces. Jesus makes them submit to the word of his power. But there's more. You see, not only does Jesus command all of creation, he also commands all of human existence. And we will see that as we continue on in our text in verses 40 to 56. You see, after Jesus casted out the army of of demons uh, who possessed this man, a crowd of the the neighboring folk came and chased Jesus out of the land of of Gerasenes. So him and his disciples sailed back to the region of Galilee where they are met with a large crowd. And out of that crowd stepped a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue, and his daughter was sick and dying. Now Jesus, being the merciful man that he is, stepped forward and began making his way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. But then we learn he's interrupted. So we'll have to put Jairus and his dying daughter to the side for just one second while we deal with another ordinary trial. You see, as Jesus is making his way and the crowds begin forcing down upon him, a woman stepped out who was suffering, who was desperate. Because for 12 years she had been suffering from a discharge of blood. Now we don't know exactly what this discharge is, but we know that this would have brought great shame to the woman. You see, in Leviticus 15, 19, if anyone had a discharge of blood, they actually had to separate themselves from the rest of society because they would have been considered unclean. That meant for 12 years she was living in isolation. 12 years she would have been seeking doctor after doctor, looking for someone to heal her. And then comes Jesus. And she worked her way to the front of the crowd, and she grabbed onto the hem of his garment, and immediately she was healed. Now, her ailment would have brought great shame with it. It would have been considered the, the pouring out of her, 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 her life from her, her veins as she was bleeding. And so we see as she is healed, she steps back into the crowd hoping to be seen by no one. So she wouldn't be rebuked for her act of courage. And she was hoping no one would notice. But we see here in verses 45 to 46 that someone notices read that with me. It says, and Jesus said, who is it that touched me? And when all denied that, Peter said, master, the crowd's surrounding you and they're pressing it on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now, on the surface, it may seem like Jesus doesn't actually know who touched him, but we learn throughout the Gospels that Jesus has the ability to read hearts and minds. He understands the hidden will of people, so he knows exactly who touched him. But his disciples still aren't getting it. They still are viewing Jesus through a human perspective. In fact, Peter almost scoffs at Jesus when he asks who touched him. Well, Jesus, there's a great crowd on you. Everybody's touching you. Peter didn't think that Jesus got it, but Jesus gets it. He knows what's going on here, and he knows who touched him. But Jesus is not looking to rebuke the culprit, but is actually looking to honor her. Look at what happens here in verse 47. It says, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been healed immediately. And it says in verse 48, and Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You see, even though the disciples didn't believe that Jesus knew what was going on, Jesus gets it. It's the disciples who were confused about the man who was standing before them, and they needed to know that Jesus understood what's going on in this woman's life. And he knows what's going on in your life. Because Jesus is not only the one who commands creation. He's not only the one with power over the wind and the waves and the demonic powers. He is also the one who has power over life. And this woman who had lost her life, who had been cast out into isolation, was finally, by faith, given her life back. Because Jesus commands life. But while this woman was receiving her life back, another young woman was losing her life. Look what it says in verse 49. It says, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. You see Jairus, who was desperate to see his daughter healed, Jarus, who longed for the, the master to come to his, his, his house, has now lost his beloved child. But that's not the end of the story. You see in verse 50, Jesus speaks up and he says, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. So Jesus takes a few of his disciples with him. Peter, James, and John, and they enter into the house. And when they get there, all start mourning over the loss of this girl. But Jesus says, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. And what do his disciples do? The disciples who saw Jesus cast out demons and calm the wind and the waves, what do they do when Jesus makes this declaration? They laugh. Oh, silly Jesus you don't get it. She's not sleeping, she's dead. See, they still don't understand. Even after this, they still don't know who this is standing before them. They have one more lesson to learn. Because seeing the girl dead on her bed, he reaches down and grabs her hand and says, child, arise. And immediately, she lived. See what the disciples are seeing here is that Jesus not only commands the living, not only does he command life, but he is the one who commands death. And he has the power to make the dead live. We see here in the text the extreme of this man power. And we ask again who is this Jesus? He is the one with power over death. You see, for us this morning, we cannot fall under the same thinking as the disciples who saw a great man, a man with power, but only a man. We have to add up the account here and answer that question. Who is this Jesus? Who is the one who is able to command the wind and the rains? Who is the one who is able to cast out demonic powers? Who is the one able to give life and take it away? Who is able? Who is this Jesus? He is God, He can be no other we take seriously what is happening in the scripture, if we view this in context, we have to understand that Jesus is not merely a man. He is the living God. He is the one who came down from heaven, took on flesh, the one who bore our iniquities, the one who walked with broken men and taught them to see the light. He is the one who gives salvation to those who are in trials, those who are in troubled times. He is God. For all of us here this morning, each of us sitting in these seats, we too have to answer this question. Now I I need you to, to understand this more than just intellectually. We can know that the scriptures say that Jesus is God. We can understand what they're saying in the text, but you have to believe it. Where is your faith? Well, the disciples witnessed great acts. They were still on the precipice of understanding, they were still waiting to take that next step to know that they walked with the author of creation. Do you know who you walk with? Do you know who's beside you in times of trial and tribulation? Do you know that he is the son of God? Where is your faith? If you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you need to know that you are left to the wind and the waves. You are left to the turmoil of this world. You are left to your own brokenness. And I assure you, even if you can navigate through the storm, your life will end in death. But the promise that we see in Scripture, the truth that is poured out in these pages, that if you believe in Jesus, you will have life and life everlasting. You need to answer that question for yourself this morning. Is your faith in Jesus? If it's not, I urge you to repent here this morning. Don't leave it for tomorrow. Don't leave it for another day. But right now, turn to Jesus and say, my faith is in you, and I will follow you. But for those of us here this morning who have trusted Jesus, we still got to take one more step and answer this second question. Knowing that Jesus is God, how are we to respond in tribulation? Now, as we walk through this final question, we will be pulling out four responses that we find directly in our text here this morning. And the first response we see is, number one, to pray. Now, you may not think that you have the benefit of the disciples to just go wake Jesus up in the bottom of the deck. But I assure you, if you are a follower of Jesus, He is with you and He is listening. And I know personally, I I feel sometimes like God is not hearing me. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking to the ceiling. But if we believe that Jesus is God, if we believe that He is interceding on our behalf both day and night, if we believe that He is able, we have got to pray, Christians. It doesn't matter if you are frustrated. It doesn't matter if you are angry. It doesn't matter if you are upset or doubting. Bring your pains to God. Bring them at the feet of Jesus. Though we may assume that Jesus is at the bottom of the boat, sleeping in the deck, we may assume that he is not hearing our prayers. I assure you, he is listening. And he wants to deliver you from your trials and tribulation. The scriptures are full of people who are frustrated with God. And rather than turn away, they cried out. In Psalm 13, David said, how long will you forget me forever? Church, we can cry out to God no matter what we are going through. And I am certain, if you bring your prayers before Jesus, you will receive greater understanding of who He is. The second response we have in times of tribulation is number two, remember that Jesus is in control. Now, we've seen already that there are demonic powers at play in our world. We see that they are trying to interject themselves into our lives, into our families, into our marriages, into our isolation. But we also have to understand that Jesus is in control. With a word of his voice, the demons bow before him. With a word of his power, they tremble in fear. They are in submission to his will. Because Jesus is in control. Jesus has the power to command your future. Jesus has the the power to command your present. And though we may not understand why we are going through what we're going through, we have to know that we can trust Jesus. And Jesus may be leading you right now to a greater understanding of who he is. And you can trust him. The third response we have in times of tribulation is number three, to flee isolation. Now we see here in our text that there are two individuals who are driven outside of society by their ailments. But we have to realize that we have the benefit, the privilege of having the church. The church is not just some building we meet in on Sunday morning. It's just not a a structure that we come to worship God in. It is a people who are gathered together in Christ. And they are God's gift to you. Our enemy wants to isolate you. He wants to push you outside of society. He wants to convince you that you have no help but salvation. But Christian, you have the church, and I know you may be feeling shame about what you're going through. I know you may feel broken, but there are people here who love you. For those of you this morning who have seen your way through a difficult season, I urge you to share your story. I I promise you, if you've been through something difficult, I promise if you have been through something hard, there is somebody else who is going through it. And they need to hear your story. Just a, a few weeks ago here on Vision Sunday, as we gathered on Sunday night, we had some brave individuals and family get up here and share their brokenness, their hurts, and their pain. They didn't do it because they wanted to stand up on stage to get attention. They did it because they know that others are suffering. And you too can share your story. In our text, we had a man who lived his life naked in chains, cast out of society. But when Jesus healed him, he went throughout all the countryside and told them what Jesus had done. Church, you've got to share your stories. Because somebody else is hurting. Finally, the fourth and final response that we see in our text in times of tribulation is number four, that know that this trial will end. For me personally, I've been through seasons that I felt like would last forever. I remember when I was struggling from depression, I felt like I was going to be cast out from God forever. But there was something inside of me that knew that this couldn't last forever. For you who are suffering, you have to know that this trial will end. Though it may take a long time, though it may take years in your life, like this woman who suffered from the discharge, you have to know that it does not have the capacity to last forever. This trial will end. But hear me here. Just because this trial will end, uh, doesn't mean that it will end in this lifetime. Your trial, your suffering, it may end in death. You may live your whole life with depression. You may live your whole life with anxiety. That sickness that you have or your family member has, it may end in death. But what we have to realize is that when you are a follower of Jesus, when you have put in your faith in the God of creation, death does not get the final word. Because we follow a God who commands death. We follow a God who is able to rise the dead and give them life. We follow a God who took on flesh and entered into death for you. On the cross, Jesus bore our shame. He bore our brokenness. He bore our tribulation, and he died. But his greatest miracle is not that he commands the wind and the waves. It's not that he casts out demons. It's not that he commands the living and the dead. His greatest miracle, that he himself rose from the dead... And he is living forevermore. And he has given us this assurance. If you trust him, if you put your faith in him, if you follow him, even though this trial takes you, even though your life may end, you shall live. Because Jesus has given us eternal life. Trust him, follow him, and believe that he is able. As we go now to a time of continued worship, through the singing of the Lord's praises, I want to give you a time to respond in prayer. So I want to take a moment and invite the elders to come up as I pray, to stand here and pray for those who would come forward. Now, I, I know it's awkward to come forward to the stage this morning and seek prayer, but I know that there's people who are hurting. I know there are people who are desperate, like Jarus uh, over his daughter, like this woman with the discharge. I urge you to take a step of faith this morning and seek someone to pray with. And if you don't know Jesus, now is your time to respond. Find someone, pray with them here this morning. Now let's go to prayer, in a time of worship. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for the life that you have given us. We praise you for the truth that we have in you. That though death may come for us, though brokenness may plague our lives, we shall have life forevermore. God, if you're moving in hearts this morning, I ask that you would stir them out of their seats to come forward to the front here this morning to pray with someone, to receive Jesus, to cast down that brokenness and hand it over to the cross. Lord, in you we have life, and in you we worship. And It's in you, Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.